I want to tell you a story of me falling in love with a pretty lady named Veronica. You saw her up here a second ago. I just, we got to start off with a love story. So this is actually the story of our first date. You ready for this? So, um, so it was, a, there's, I'm going to leave several awkward details out of this because I was, I was an awkward 20 year old that I didn't know what I was doing. And, but, uh, I, I do want to share how I told her that I loved her on our first date. Um, and this is how it went. So I picked her up at our house and here we got, I got a picture, um, of when I took her out. So we're going to throw that up there. There it is. Look at that. So she looks exactly the same. This was 10 years ago. She looks exactly the same. I look different. I, you can tell I'm, I've aged. But she's like exactly the same. She's, uh, she's amazing, obviously. But um, so I picked her up, and I was actually late, uh, which was a major error on my part. But I decided I had a plan, and I told her I was going to make it up to her. And so we went to stop number one. And then stop number two, we were going to BJ's to get a pizookie. You ever gotten a pizookie before? It's a cookie with ice cream on the, in the middle of it, and it's like a, cake, like a pizza cookie. Um, it's amazing. So I was like, we can't go wrong with that, right? But, uh, but when we were in the car in my 95 Isuzu Rodeo, um, I mean, that's, you want to take a girl out, you got to do it classy, right? And so, I mean, I did have a nice shirt on at least, and she like actually bought a special dress just for that. Uh, date. So it was a special deal, man. She's not even in here right now, is she? So I can, I can say whatever I want. Oh, she is in the back. So, um, so this is what happened. I decided I was going to do something special for her, and I planned it out. And I'm not, you know, I try to do more romantic things like this um, to keep things spicy in our relationship after 10 years. But this is what I did. It started off, I said, um, I, I told her not to open her door, and we pulled into the parking lot. And then I had a little, little present hidden in the car, and I grabbed it, and I went around and opened her door, and as she opened the door, or I opened the door for her, and I got her out, and I gave her a red rose. And then she, she was, she was uh, her, her, took the breath away from her. She just went, and this, these are the words I'll never forget. She says, she says, I, I love roses. And then it was still awkward pause, and I was, didn't know what to say. I was like, oh, okay. And then she says, and I love surprises. And then this is the word. I did not think about this, but th I just needed to say something. And I said, well, I love you. It just kind of came out of me. And then she, and here was her response genuinely. She said, she did not reciprocate, I'm just saying, but she may have just not been prepared to, to like, wasn't ready for that decision if she's going to tell me or not, but it just came out. I just want to let you know, I just, it was bubbling out of me. She said, I love roses, I love surprises. Well, I love you, and I just stumped her right there, but then we went in, had a pizookie, and it was a great time, and everything is history after that. We got hitched, and now two, almost three kids later, I still love you, baby. Come on, give it up for my amazing wife right there. And so uh, today I want to talk about love and all, a lot about perspective because I think a lot of love stories, a lot of relationships, a lot of dating relationships, a lot of marriages start off like with a cool story like that. You know, a lot of us start off just solid um, and a lot of start based on love for each other. 
But the reality is we don't have to, you know, we don't need to do a lot of research to find out that a lot of marriages, a good percentage of marriages and a good percentage of marriage of relationships just are not working. That they don't succeed. That a lot of marriages and a lot of relationships fail. And and specifically a lot of marriages fail. And it's okay if a relationship, you know, doesn't go, that'll happen. You find out things about each other and you say, no, I don't want to make this a firm commitment and and we're not uh, supposed to be married to each other. You come to a conclusion. But a lot of marriages specifically just don't succeed. Most stats will tell you that 50% fail. But also, glass half full, 50% succeed. But still, even if you're going to be an optimist about that, that just doesn't seem like uh, very encouraging to you. It seems like and a lot of people just say, well, I got 50-50 odds. Man, that's more than I got at the casino. Let's do this. Let's roll the dice and hope for the best, baby. Let's flip this coin and hopefully we turn out all right. Well, I would, I would suggest to you this. I kind of thought about it. If you had 50-50 odds that you were going to be, be attacked by a pterodactyl, you would probably do something about it, right? You would probably prepare yourself the best way you can to when that pterodactyl comes, you got a crossbow and you're like, thook, 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 right when it tries to come down and swoop you up, you're going to prepare. You're going to have some anti-pterodactyl equipment to take him down instead of you losing the fight. And so I think the biggest fight is in our perspective, in our minds. And I, and I believe there's, you know, there's so much powerful advice in relation to marriage in the Word of God. And so, and God has a specific plan for marriage. And I believe that the main reasons we don't, that we don't uh, succeed in marriages is because we are not, we don't have the God-ordained perspective that he has for us in marriage. And so I believe this, this whole series is going to be such a powerful, powerful thing because I believe God will use, our, will use healthy marriages to point people to him. When your neighbors see you loving your spouse more, when your neighbors see that you just have, uh, and your kids, in every aspect, that the best ministry you can do so often, I believe, is that your, minute, that your marriage points people to Jesus. I pray that often for my marriage, and I pray that for yours as well today. But I believe that that's just not a a good outlook to have when we just say, hey, 50-50 odds, let's hope for the best. But we need the right perspective. And here's the perspective I want to challenge you with. I have a little something for you here. And... um, and this is, this is what, I, what I see in a lot of people. And the, mis- the biggest misconception is this, is that your spouse is supposed to complete you. You know, we watch the movies, you complete me. <laughs> and then you get all teary. You're like, I want someone like that. That's so sweet. You'd be like that. I want to be like that. So You're just like looking at the person like, what's wrong with you? That's just a movie. But we get all emotional about that. The thing and that culture does tell us that, that your spouse is literally supposed to complete you, that you are incomplete. I mean, and maybe single people, you feel this pressure. It's like, well, I got to get married because I'm not, I'm not complete until I get married. That is a lie. Here is the only thing that completes you. God is the only thing that will complete you. So here's what this looks like. Here's what this looks like. So pretend that this container is your life for a second. And we're lo- and we're right now it's empty. And you're looking for fulfillment and you can find you can search for fulfillment in anything out there. You can search for fulfillment in your spouse, you can look for fulfillment in recreation, your hobbies and all these things that are still good, but you can try to find fulfillment and they may fill you up for a little bit, but they but you'll find out you're not whole. You'll find out 
that after a little bit, those things, while you were fulfilled for a minute, just after a little bit of time, you start to feel empty again. And some of you may be, may be realizing that, that you're having this expectation on someone else that they are not capable of doing. You're having this expectation for your spouse to complete you when they are not capable of doing that, when they are going to let you down, when they are going to say, like, no, that I don't feel complete, I don't feel fulfilled anymore, what happened? It's because you were never designed to complete somebody else. But God is the only area, the only one that can fulfill you. He's the only one that can complete you. Because when then this is what a full life looks like when you are whole, when you experience God's love and you experience the life-changing love of God, that he loves you so much and you encounter his love and you feel complete and you dip into God and say, I'm going to find my fulfillment in you, God. I'm going to find my fulfillment in you and you first and you alone. And you find yourself being, being filled up and, and you find yourself being whole. And so that is the big mis- misconception that I wanna, wanted to illustrate with that, is that your spouse is not supposed to complete you. They can't. That, that doesn't work, but God is the only one that can complete you. So today, the biggest, uh, the biggest idea today is the priority of love. And this is the priority you need to have. You need to have the priority of God first. Everybody say, God first. Spouse second. Say it again, God first. Spouse second. So a lot of people say, you know, that, that phrase, a lot of uh, movies, you just kind of like, I found the one. You come home from the movie or you come after your first date with your girlfriends and you come back to them and you, find, you say, I, I think I found the one. I think he's the one. And you know what you should really be saying? You said, I think I just found the two. That's what you should be saying. I think I just found the two because that's not the the priority of your love. That's not how God ordained it to be. Because if you're saying God's or that my spouse is the most important, that he's the number one, that he is my one, and you're saying I'm expecting that person to fulfill you, to complete you, to make you whole, but that's not how God wants it to go down. And so God first, spouse second. And um, this whole series is, is called Love is a Verb, and I want to encourage you to bring somebody every single week. Next week, it's going to be really powerful as we talk about the pursuit of love, and next, uh, next Sunday, week from today, and then part three, uh, Caleb and Chrissy are going to come up and preach together. Man, it's going to be awesome, and they're going to be talking about the partnership of love, and the last week is probably going to be the most exciting one. We are doing a panel up here where you get to ask us any question you want. You can text us in and ask us any question you want, so you do not want to miss that uh, the last Sunday of this month, and that leads us right up to Easter, so I'm super pumped about this season, but uh, your spouse isn't supposed to complete you. And if you have that idea in your head, maybe you're realizing it right now, and maybe there's some areas in your life you're asking your spouse to fulfill that only God is supposed to do. And that may be the reason you find frustration in your marriage or your relationship. And if you're not, in a, in a, you're, you're not married right now and you're single and you're looking to that, the, this is even more important to you. Some of you are like, okay, this is about a marriage. I'm checking out. I'm single. Don't worry about that. But this is even more important for you because you've, you can – Start, you can start off strong with the right perspective is even more important. So um, I want to take a look at this passage and really give you some biblical backing behind this principle of the priority of love, that God should be first and your spouse should be second. I want to give you some, because I never want to just come up here and say, hey, this sounded good. 
Like I like wrote it down. Like, hey, I should probably say this. This will make people feel a little challenged. This will make this will make people feel happy. That is the worst thing I could do. But I want to come up here with some something I, f- I find in Scripture that I feel like we should communicate to our church today, and that we can live this out. But the overall principle that I want to communicate today, as we look at this this Scripture, God first and spouse second, and along with that, it's this is this um, this line that Caleb came up with as we were preparing for this and reading the same passage. He said this, he says, learning to love Jesus first enables you to love like Jesus for your second. Do you see that? When you love Jesus first and you put him, you're actually being able to be a better spouse, a better person in your relationship, and you're able to love your spouse even more. And they're going to be fulfilled. They're going to be fulfilled in God, but then they're going to find you're gonna, that you're the spouse that they need you to be. When you love, learn to love Jesus first, it enables you to love like Jesus. because He laid his life down. He is, he is love. And you're able to love like Jesus for your second. And so, um, so this, this is, you got the series overview, um, but I want to just take a, a look at what this looks like um, from the biblical perspective. And it all comes down to one of my favorite passages in Scripture, actually, uh, Matthew 22. And this is the scenario that happens. Jesus was on the earth doing his thing, and someone came up to him. They kept on asking him questions. People, people just came up to He was stirring up a lot of controversy. So someone came up to him, asked him this very important question. I actually look at this guy, whoever this dude was, that asked Jesus this question. You know how sometimes you don't, you're like in class and you don't want to look like the dumb one to ask the question and be like, excuse me, what are we supposed to do? And then, but then you like hope someone else does. And then someone else raises their hand and says, hey, what's, what's the homework assignment or something? And you're like, oh, thank you. I didn't want to look dumb and ask. Um, I, I feel like that with this guy. And he asked Jesus this question, Matthew 22, verse 36. He says, teacher, which is the great, uh, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul. That's a great answer. This is the great and the first commandment. Everybody say first. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Man, so, so much power, so much. Uh, this, is, this is a central commandment. This is a central passage. Almost so many different th- parts of Scripture hinge on that, on that saying that he quoted from Deuteronomy, from the Old Testament. It's called the Shema. And so I want to just pray that God's word would speak to us today. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you, God, that you put the Bible for us to be able to learn and read for ourselves and that, that you can challenge us and speak to us, that it's living and active. And it's from you. So I pray that you would speak to us from your word today in Jesus' name. So really quick, I want to talk about what it looks like to prioritize your love for God. And I've actually been praying a lot about this Sunday that we would encounter God's love. Because when we encounter God's love, we can't help to put that love first. We can't help to the, put the priority of love on Jesus before anything else. And what it means to, when he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, what does that even mean? That means to love him with everything you have, and with your heart, your emotions. That's, you, love is an emotion. Love is a verb. Love is also an emotion. To love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul, everything about you 
You are to love God. And, and we're so I'm going to talk about really what that looks like because still, like to me, um, I'm, a, I'm a practical guy. And so it's like, well, what, is that, what does that look like? So here's two things I want to encourage you with, and I want to close in a time of prayer right after that. The first thing is this, is that you, to, in order to prioritize your love for God, it's necessary for you to remove the unnecessary. How do you prioritize your love for God? First, remove the unnecessary. Does anybody else have a garage that just collects a bunch of stuff? Like, does anybody else, like, just it just collects, and all of a sudden you, like, clean it out? You spend, like, the whole afternoon on a Saturday cleaning it out and just throwing away a bunch of stuff, and, like, two days later, there's just a bunch of stuff everywhere, and just like, dude, where did this stuff come from? And, like, I can't even get to what I'm spo- I want to get to because there's just a bunch of stuff all around here. Like, where's this stuff? Like, I'm pretty sure, like, somebody just, like, sneaks into my garage with, like, a big old like garbage bag full of just random stuff and kids toys and and like a bike pedal and just, just dumps it all in in the way and I'm and it just like happens and I can't get to what I want to get to and so here's why this is important is I'm a big like I, I hate that bothers me so much so sometimes I can like lower my expectations be like okay I'm gonna be okay with it right now but it's still bugging me it's still bugging me and then eventually I'll, I'll crack and I was like oh, I'm throwing all this stuff away or cleaning it all up but the principle behind this is, is when you remove the unnecessary, you're able to focus on what's most important. You're able to get to what you need to get to. And all those other things were just distractions from you. See, we have a lot of distractions today in, in the 21st century. Man, more in 2018, more than any, any time in history, it's just an increasingly uh, distracting world that we live in. And um, with, just with the increase of technology that we're always being distracted by something. And something's always, I would even argue that something's always begging for your attention. And with begging for your attention is begging for your love too. I believe that. It's begging for your love and just saying, hey, check me out, check me out, check me out. And I believe we need to remove some unnecessary things in our life in order to prioritize our love for God. I'm talking about things like TV and maybe this doesn't need remove it. And like some of you guys are going to go home and you're like, "Well, babe, my wife, the pastor told me to chuck the TV out and just chucks the flat screen out the window or something like, "Hey, if God tells you to do it, do it." But sometimes you just need to reprioritize. Sometimes you need to remove the unnecessary. So sometimes it may be the TV, maybe the social media that's constantly grabbing at you. It could be some of your sports, it could be some of your hobbies. It could even be your kids. Because God is supposed to be even be above your kids, all right? Because sometimes you're just like, well, no, I don't, I, don't put, uh, I, don't, I don't put God above my spouse. But you may put your spouse above your kids or your kids above, above God and you're loving your kids so much that God is taking the back burner seat. And so, so I want to encourage you just to think about that question. Is how, what are some things that are distracting me? What are the things that are unnecessary that just need to be removed or, or, re, or reprioritize or diminish because these are taking up too much of my attention and my love. Um, and here's a, here's a quote that I really love. And it just talks about, about this um, idea. It says this. It says, deeply and fundamentally, Christianity is a new birth, a deep, profound transform, transformation of what we treasure, what we love. A deep, profound transformation of what we treasure. When we come to know Christ, it changes what we love, changes what we treasure. It takes our attention off of this 
off of everything else and onto God because his love is so amazing. So I was literally yesterday sitting in my office just doing a, um, just going over my sermon for tomorrow, and I felt like I needed a story right here. I, I like having some personal stories, and Jesus did too, so I want to be like Jesus. And I was, I was like, hey, what's a good story to illustrate this point? And then right then, my daughter, my one-year-old daughter just pushes open the door, has the cutest little smile on her face, and runs over to me, and then I pick her up, and then she starts crying. And, um, and so I'm like, oh, great. And then so she's wanting some milk. There's an empty milk uh, bottle, and she's like, she's reaching for it. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I'll get you some milk. And so I go downstairs to get her some milk, and I even pour it and get ready. And as I'm pouring it and getting, getting the bottle ready for her, she sees something else. She sees these, these shiny fruit snacks in the wrapper. She's like, fruit snacks. And she, so she noticed them. I kind of noticed that she was looking towards them. And I literally was like, all right, here's your milk. And then she was like this. Like, do you need your milk? And then she started reaching for the fruit snacks. Now, don't take this analogy too far and your spouse because, hey, you want to spend time with me? <laughs> don't, take, don't take this too far. This illustration only goes so deep, all right? I don't want you to get you in trouble today. But what I do believe is that once you see something better, once you, man, your love is right here, but once you experience God's love, there is nothing better than God's love. So once you experience that for reals, once you have a true encounter with God and you experience God's love, there's nothing else that you should treasure more that enables you and that causes you to say, man, why would I love anything more than God? And your love just increases. I remember the first time I gave my life to the Lord, and that's all I want. I said all these other things in my life seemed to seem so meaningless. Scripture says this. It says in Philippians 3.8, the Apostle Paul wrote this, illustrating it so well. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He's saying, I value Jesus. I value what? Just knowing him more than anything else in the world because it's so amazing. Because for, for his sake, I've suffered the loss for all of the things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Christ, Jesus, is more powerful, is more valuable, deserves our love more than anything. And when we, when we experience that, we can't help but to prioritize his love above, above all things. When you do this, you become, I kind of said this earlier, but you become who your spouse needs you to be. And um, for single people, this quote is really powerful just to, just to think about, is, is uh, that you should, you should challenge yourself to become the person you're, you're looking for is looking for. Become the person who you're looking for is looking for. Because when you do this, when you love God, you become that person that your spouse, the person you're looking for is looking for. You're becoming that person that you're looking for really needs and that you're a whole person, not, not someone who has all these holes in their life. You're not going to be this person that says, like, the, per, the person that you're looking for should, shouldn't have any holes in your life. But you shouldn't have any holes in your life. You shouldn't be running empty because you don't have God's love to satisfy you. And you're like this person, I'm trying to find, trying to find the right person. But who wants someone with holes in their life? And you might look after these people and it's like, well, who wants, I, I don't want someone with all these leaks. But when we, when we experience God's love, we become whole, and, we, and, and God transforms. God puts, a, puts a, a plug in those leaks, and he says, I'm making you whole so that you are fulfilled, that you are complete in my love. 
Last thing is this, is that we're supposed to recognize our weakness. And do you ever, like, at school, like, play that game Dead Arm? We just, um, this is a guy thing. I'm pretty sure most girls don't. But the concept was we just sit there and punch each other. And you, so you punch each other in the arm, and you just turn, and it's like, all right, you get to punch. I, I thought Michael was getting up here to punch me right now. <laughs> all right, we good. But, uh, we, but that was the concept. And then so you would always, like, the, the, whoever stopped lost. So you just take a punch in the arm until one person gives up. I mean, that's what you do when you're, you're a 14-year-old boy. That's just, like, what you do. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. But you never want to reveal your weakness. You never want to reveal that it hurt. You're just going to, like, suck it up like that didn't hurt. And then you walk around the corner, you're like, <laughs> he punched me. You know, like, but you don't want to reveal to anybody else that you're weak, that you have weakness. This happened to me um, two years ago. I was so excited to run the California International Marathon in December of 2015. And I was training for it. And see, some people either like to run or you just hate to run. That's what I feel like. It's, it's, it's kind of like black licorice. Either you hate it or you love it. My wife and I differ on that. So pray for us in that regard. But you either love running or you just hate running. But I personally love running. I was excited about running the California International Marathon in December of 2015. And for six months, I trained for it. And that actually isn't really a lot of time to train for it normally. But I trained for six months, and I was so excited about running this. I, I pictured it in my head. Every hour that I was running every week, I pictured, man, this is going to be so fun. I'm going to feel so fulfilled. I pictured the finish line at the end of it. I pictured, like, man, I'm going to cross that finish line. I had a predetermined goal of what my time should be. And I was incredibly excited about it. But then about three weeks before the, the marathon, the event, I ran, I, I ran, and then the next day, I, and as I, I went out the next day, I, uh, I just felt this pain in my leg. I was running, I, only, I ran 20 miles the day before, and then I ran like four miles the next day, and I felt incredibly, and I felt awesome after the 20 miles. And then after four miles, I felt awful. And I felt this, this major pain in my leg, and I was like, <sighs> so a big part of me was like, dude, I'll just press through. I, I trained all the way for this. I'm just going to press through. And so I, I kind of told my wife, and I was like, it kind of hurt. She's like, well, you're right. Like, do you need it? I'm like, no, nah, I think I'll be good. I was talking to another friend, and I, I ran again another day. And I was like, no, nah, this, is, this, is, this is a weakness. This is a pain. This is an injury. And I had to come to grips with the injury, even though it meant I wasn't running in the CIM. And I got to tell you, I saved even further injury in my life by doing that. And I had to come and I had to, the day came up and everybody texted me that night or multiple people texted me that Saturday night before the, the marathon and said, hey, go get them. You're going to do great. You're going to do awesome. And I just like read the text, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I had to recognize my weakness. And I feel like that is the biggest barrier to us encountering God's love. I feel like he's not going to heal what we hide. I feel like if we're, we're saying, man, I got, got all my life together, well, then you got your life together. You don't need me. All right, that's cool. But when we do a true evaluation of, of ourself and say, 
man, where am I weak? Because that's where Christ can show his strength. And he won't do that until we recognize, until we admit, until we realize, man, I have an injury. This is where I'm weak. And the same thing for marriages. It's, it all has to do with intimacy. My, I remember our premarital counselor, he said these words, the best way to look at intimacy is in to me I see. And so that you're opening up and you're finding your true self and you're not this facade, you're not this mask, and you're saying to your partner, you're saying, this is who I really am. And when you do that, it's painful, it's uncomfortable. But that's when intimacy really happens and you're able to even pray for each other more. And the same concept with your heavenly father and you're able to say, God, this is who I really am. You already know, but I'm about to admit it to you. I got issues. Here's where, here's where I need healing. Here's where I need, because I have, I have these things that, are, that, I, that I feel empty. I have these holes in my life. And I, need, and I need help. Biggest reason why we don't love God with all our heart, mind, and soul is because we haven't truly experienced God's love to the point where we say, man, I don't want to put anything else above God, that God, you're more amazing than anything, and I'm going to love you with the way I live my life. I'm going to love you by spending time with you. I'm going to love you just in my mind when I wake up, and I'm going to say, God, thank you for this day and have this mindset that will transform your life. But the, but the reason why we don't do that, we haven't encountered the love of God is because we have these barriers up and we're not recognizing we even need God is we need to recognize your weakness in order to encounter God. You won't heal what you hide. I believe some of us are here today and we're just hiding our wounds. We're like covering up and saying, man, I got it all together, I'm good. But we're really just hiding our wounds. God won't heal what you hide. And I believe that was for someone today that just needs to come to the, to the power, to the incredible, incredible love of Jesus. And we need to encounter them. And when we do that, nothing will be the same. We won't have any more holes in our life. He'll he'll fill the holes as we continue to put him first. We continue to prioritize. I believe marriages are going to be better as a result of that. That's the beauty of the cross too, is the love. What better illustration of love is to go all the way to death. And that's what Jesus did. If it was even just you, just one person, he says, I'm going to do all this for love because I love you. God, for God so sent his son. For he loved, for God so loved the world. Did it all out of love that he sent his only son so that we may have eternal life. And so God is doing this all out of love. And the greatest illustration is the cross, the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of cross, what Jesus did on the cross. And now he takes our weakness and makes us strong. He takes our brokenness and makes us whole. He takes our insecurities and makes us confident in him. He takes our emptiness and makes us filled up. And he takes our incompletion and he makes you complete. I wanna pray for you today. Will you bow your heads?